In the early dawn hours of October the 30th, 2004, Professor Frederick M. Jablin sleepily made his way out of bed. Dressed in his pajamas and slippers, he ventured out into the darkness to fetch the morning paper that had recently been tossed onto his driveway. Most of his neighbours in a suburb of Richmond, Virginia were still fast asleep, as were Jablin's two daughters aged 8 and 15 and his son aged 12. They would soon awaken to our nightmare. This is the story of Piper Roundtree and the day she murdered her ex-husband to collect his insurance money. If you do end up liking this video, please subscribe. I do have two other crime channels. All the links are in the description. Around 6.40am, neighbours were jolted awake by a frightening sound. They reported hearing a bang bang bang. There was little doubt it was a gun being fired. Yet another neighbour, Bob McCartle, was startled by the shots and dashed to his window to see what was going on. McCardle saw a person running down the street, although he could not make out the description because it was too dark. He and the other neighbours prompted to call 911, and it only took a few minutes for the police to arrive. Several officers searched the surrounding neighbourhood but could find no indication of foul play. However, when the sun rose about a half hour later, Jablin's body was discovered lying dead in his driveway next to his Ford Explorer. He had been shot in the arm and his back as he was retrieving his newspaper. Shock and profound sadness spread across the community with the news of Jablin's death. The rumours quickly made their way around the campus where he worked as an organisational communication scholar at the University of Richmond's Jepson School. Neighbours, colleagues and students simply couldn't fathom why anyone would want to harm such a beloved man who was devoted to his children, students and job. Yet those who knew Jablin ultimately had their suspicions. The professor was just beginning to get his life back together after a nasty divorce and custody battle with his ex-wife Piper Roundtree who at the time was 43. Roundtree, a former Texas prosecutor, school board association attorney and amateur artist wasn't at all happy about losing custody of her children as well as the bulk of the couple's assets. Jablin's family and friends wondered, did Piper kill him out of revenge? Investigators came to a similar conclusion and promptly arrested Piper Roundtree. Piper Roundtree was born and raised in a small farming community in Harlington, Texas. She was the youngest of five siblings, including two brothers and two sisters. Roundtree's father was a military surgeon and her mum was a homemaker. Roundtree was reported to have had a happy childhood and family life. She had close friendships and was liked by her fellow students, although she wasn't the most popular girl in school. Roundtree excelled academically and was eventually accepted by the University of Texas at Austin in 1978. As an undergraduate, she studied speech communication. The following year, Dr. Frederick Jablin left a teaching position at the University of Wisconsin and took a new position teaching communications at the University of Texas at Austin. 
he was recently divorced and looking for a new beginning. In 1981, he taught a course in organizational communications for which Roundtree registered. Jablin was immediately captivated by Roundtree's artistic and energetic nature. The student-teacher relationship ended in the fall of 1981 and six months later, they began a romantic relationship. The two by smitten by one another and became inseparable. In 1983, the couple moved to San Antonio, Texas when Roundtree was accepted as a law student at St. Mary's University. Jablin did not give up his position at the University of Texas because his career was just beginning to take off. Later that year, the couple married while Roundtree was still enrolled in law school. The marriage initially got off to a good start, but it wasn't long before cracks began to appear. In court documents later reported, it was said that Jablin became aware early in their marriage that Roundtree suffered emotional problems. After learning that she had been bulimic and was receiving psychological counselling because of family issues. Roundtree's emotional instability became increasingly apparent, particularly in her social life. She soon graduated in 1986 and moved back to Austin with Jablin. Even though she obtained employment as an assistant district attorney for Hayes County in Texas soon after graduation, she quickly tired of the position and quit after one year. From then on, she tried her hand at several different positions. This included that of school board association attorney, working for a private law firm and a position with the Texas Classroom Teachers Association. None of the positions lasted longer than two years because she was either fired or quit out of dissatisfaction. She then set up her own practice in 1993, but after a year, she gave up. Because Jablin was offered a new position with a significant salary increase in Virginia at the University of Richmond's Jepson School of Leadership. In the meantime, Roundtree and Jablin were in the process of raising their two children. A preschool-aged daughter Jocelyn and a toddler son Paxton, whom they both adored. The new job in Richmond offered a release from the financial burdens the family endured in Texas, mostly caused by Roundtree's habit of overspending. In order to enhance their standard of living, the family moved to the Richmond area and Jablin began his new career as a professor of organizational communications. After the move, Roundtree decided to put her career on hold and devote herself to her children full-time. Their third child, Callin, followed a couple of years later. It seemed that even though Roundtree got to spend more time with her children, she certainly wasn't content. Their marriage became exceedingly strained in 2000. Around the time Roundtree suffered a major depression after undergoing an ecotopic pregnancy and hysterectomy. It was also at this time when Roundtree started having an affair with a married ophthalmologist. It appears that the fatal attraction type relationship with the doctor eventually led to the destruction of his marriage, exacerbated by Roundtree's repeated death threats against his wife. When Jablin learned of the affair, he was devastated and decided that the marriage was beyond salvage. Roundtree and Jablin separated in March 2001 and immediately began divorce proceedings. On request of the court, Edwin A. Bischoff, a Richmond area attorney, was appointed commissioner in chancery in the Jablin-Roundtree divorce and asked to compile a review of the couple's marriage. 
Bischoff, who told the court that prior to the divorce proceedings, Roundtree experienced significant episodes of mental health problems, drinking and abuse of prescription drugs. It was further reported that she also circulated false reports of spousal abuse, which eventually had little bearing on the case. And so far in this story, before I get to the crime itself, you're starting to see a picture where Piper brought everything on herself. Moreover, the court learned that Piper had run the family into considerable debt, which caused significant problems within the relationship. Within four years, Roundtree was briefly in charge of the family's finances, amassed a credit card debt of more than $50,000, some of which was allegedly used to fund outings with her lover. The court also heard that the ophthalmologist who was having an affair with Roundtree often accompanied her and the children during summer activities in 2001. This news greatly saddened Jablin as he was trying to protect the children from the marital problems. In July 2002, after an emotionally and financially draining battle, the judge overseeing the case granted the couple a divorce on the grounds of adultery. Soon after, proceedings began regarding the custody of the children. Jablin petitioned the court for sole custody of the children because of Roundtree's mental instability. Jablin's attorney stated in a petition to the court that Roundtree had a history of depression, which is manifested by periods of agitated and distressful conduct, impulsive acts, including fleeing from the area or threatening to take the children from Richmond, periods of infidelity, pleas of hopelessness and aberrational conduct, including speaking to angels. Ah, so the angels is who she was buying all that credit card stuff for, huh? After an eight-month-long battle, a Virginia court granted Jablin sole custody of the children and ordered Roundtree to pay $890 a month for child support. According to Jablin's friends, Roundtree never got around to the idea that she now did not have custody and had to pay spousal support. She was also angered that Jablin was awarded the bulk of the couple's assets. In March 2002, Roundtree moved to Houston, Texas, where she had a license to practice law. She also moved to the area to be closer to her sister Tina, who was 52 at the time. A nurse practitioner specializing in menopause treatment and weight management who owned and operated the village women's clinic near Rice University. It was further reported that Tina helped her sister by finding her a one-room office space in which to rent for her legal practice. When her practice proved unsuccessful, she began to work for a land-registered company in 1993. The same year, Roundtree filed for bankruptcy in Texas and moved in with her sister. Half a year later, Roundtree was found in contempt of court in Virginia for not paying child support. By late September 2004, Roundtree owed $10,000 in alimony. Now soon after Jablin's body was discovered, this is when the investigators turned their attention to Piper, who clearly seemed to have a motive to murder him. However, when questioned, Roundtree claimed that there was no way she could have killed her ex-husband because she was halfway across the country at the time in Texas. Suspicious of her story, investigators began to piece together Piper's movements at around the time of the murder. It didn't take long for them to find holes in her alibi. A forensic team seized several objects from Jablin's house, which they hoped would provide clues 
to aid in the investigation. Some of the articles included two cell phones, information from a caller ID, photos, a pair of glasses and a 1999 Ford Explorer. Other items were confiscated from Roundtree back in Houston, which included a wig, a computer and her cell phone records, among other things. Investigators also interviewed numerous witnesses, including a Southwest Airlines employee, employees at the Houston Hobby Airport, a rental car service employee near Norfolk International Airport, a hotel manager in Henrico, Virginia, and a patron of a Houston bar, as well as family members, friends and colleagues of Jablin and Roundtree. A significant piece of evidence that eventually led to the conviction came from her cell phone records. After reviewing the call records, investigators discovered that she was in the Richmond area the day before the murder up until the time around Jablin's death. From that moment on, the evidence began to pile up against Roundtree. Investigators learned that at 4.30pm on the day of Jablin's murder, a woman checked in on a Southwest Airlines flight to Houston under the name of Tina Roundtree. Now they interviewed employees at the airport to see if anyone could identify Piper or Tina Roundtree. Several people claimed to recognize the picture, although the woman they saw had blonde hair, unlike the woman in the picture that was a brunette. Based on the information they pieced together, investigators eventually determined that Piper Roundtree did indeed travel to Richmond for a couple of days before leaving the afternoon of Jablin's murder. They also determined that she travelled in disguise, wearing a wig and using her sister's identification. After further investigation, it was discovered that Roundtree bought two wigs on October the 21st on the internet, ordered from an email account in her name. The wigs were mailed to a Houston post office box that bore the name of a former boyfriend of hers and were delivered prior to her flight. To Virginia. They remembered Roundtree travelling to Virginia on October the 28th. Kathy Molly, one of the staff, said that Roundtree declared an unloaded gun at the time of check-in. Molly, who said that Roundtree appeared nervous and that it seemed that there was something on her mind, that she was very much in a hurry, almost as if that she was trying to distract Molly. The gun she carried was a 32 or 38 caliber revolver, which had the ability to shoot the bullets that killed Jablin. The gun that she used, however, was actually never found. In the week after the murder, Roundtree gave police the number of a bar patron whom she claimed would provide them with an alibi as to her whereabouts on the night of October the 29th, 12 hours prior to the murder. Roundtree said that Kevin O'Keefe, a 51-year-old electrical engineer saw her that evening at the Under the Volcano Bar in Houston, which if substantiated would make it difficult to prove that she was at the murder scene in Virginia. Now on November the 5th, the police they interviewed O'Keefe and they asked him, did you see her? And he said, yes, I saw her, but I don't know if it was the night in question. O'Keefe claimed to have been extremely busy that week and that he didn't know which way was up. O'Keefe told investigators that on November 3rd, Roundtree came to the bar looking for him in a distraught state, claiming that her boyfriend, who she lived with for years, had been stabbed and the police needed to confirm she was at the bar the evening of October 29th. When O'Keefe suggested it was possible that he'd seen her that evening, 
Piper disappeared only to return a short while later with two men, one of whom was a notary, asking for him to sign a statement to substantiate her alibi. O'Keefe refused and he said, give the police my phone number if they need me to testify. He later realized that he hadn't seen Roundtree on the evening in question, but actually on a different day during the same week. A bartender substantiated his story. It was evidence that proved to be damaging to Roundtree's already shaky alibi. Back in Virginia, investigators interviewed rental car service employee Tara Waterford near Norfolk International Airport, who claimed that someone resembling Roundtree rented a miniman from her on October the 28th. That same day, a Henrico, Virginia hotel manager also said she remembered a woman fitting Roundtree's description registering for a room on October the 28th for two nights. The hotel was approximately five miles from Jablin's home. The manager said that the woman produced identification under the name Tina Roundtree, but specifically asked to sign in using a different name, which struck the manager as unusual. Roundtree checked out of the hotel on October the 30th, hours after Jablin's death. Moreover, investigators tied Roundtree to a bank debit card that a former boyfriend named Jerry Walters acquired for her after she declared bankruptcy. He opened a line of credit for her so she could pay her bills, but he never contributed any money himself. The card was used to purchase items including the wigs she allegedly worn while en route to Virginia from Houston, and the Southwest Airline plane tickets registered in the name Tina Roundtree. She also used the card to secure reservations at the Henrico Virginia Hotel, which she signed in under an assumed name, to withdraw cash at several locations in the same area and to make a purchase at a CVS pharmacy. The overwhelming evidence eventually led to her arrest on November the 8th, 2004. Piper's arrest came soon after a custody hearing where she lost guardianship of her three children to Jablin's brother of Northern Virginia. Roundtree was held in the Henrico County Jail to await trial scheduled for January 2005. Also on November the 8th, Tina Roundtree was arrested on suspicion of tampering with evidence in the case. Authorities said that she likely helped Piper Roundtree destroy evidence related to Jablin's murder, including a wig, makeup and computers. Her court hearing for the third degree felony took place in July 2005 in Harris County, Texas, where the offense allegedly occurred. Now on January the 28th, 2005, Piper underwent a pre-trial hearing at the Henrico County Circuit Court. Murray Janus represented her case before Judge L.A. Harris. During the hearing, the prosecution presented a steady stream of witnesses who provided evidence against Piper, mostly placing her in Virginia at the time of the murder. The judge found the evidence sufficient enough for the case to go to trial, which began several weeks later. February the 22nd marked the opening round of the trial where jury was selected. Eventually, a seven-man, seven-woman jury was selected following by opening statements from the prosecution, then the defense teams. Witness testimony began the next day and lasted until February 26th. One of the many witnesses that took the stand 
was former boyfriend Jerry Walters. He claimed that while Piper was in jail, she sent him a letter suggesting that they marry in order to spare him testifying against her, since by law, a husband could not testify against a wife and vice versa. Walters told the court that Piper called him the evening of Jablin's murder and informed him of his death. She then asked him to fly from Louisiana, where he lived, to Houston, although he declined the offer. Walters said that the next day he learned that the line of credit he set up for Roundtree was in default because according to Roundtree, the debit card had been stolen the week before it was further reported. Another witness who testified was Crystal Danko. She was a Sprint telephone employee who produced cell phone records placing Roundtree in the area of Norfolk and Virginia between October 28th and the 30th. She also provided records that proved Roundtree was also in Virginia earlier that same month. This evidence directly contradicts Roundtree's statements that she was in Texas the whole time. Investigators were able to provide video surveillance tapes showing Roundtree at Henrico County ATM money machines. Around the time of the murder, wearing one of the blonde wigs she purchased from the boutique over the internet. Perhaps one of the most damaging pieces of evidence was that presented by Mac McLenahan, who dated Tina, her sister, at the time of the murder. He claimed that on the evening of October 26, 2004, he and Piper went to a Houston shooting range and practiced firing rented guns. He also testified that he gave her a 38 caliber revolver in 2002, which he found inside Tina's house. Following Jablin's death and when McClanahan was questioned, he told police that Roundtree told him, don't tell him about the gun and don't tell him we went to the shooting range. It'll just complicate things. Two, other witnesses testified that they saw Roundtree days before the murder at a shooting range in Houston, using her sister's identification. Roundtree allegedly bought a box of 38 caliber ammunition similar to what was used to take Jablin's life. That same day, O'Keefe took the stand and recounted his conversations with Roundtree at the Houston area bar. When she tried to get him to sign a notarized statement that he had seen her on October 29th, his testimony was followed by Piper Roundtree's testimony in her own defense. Her accounts were interesting, which inevitably changed the way this trial went. While on the stand, Roundtree tearfully professed her innocence, claiming that she was in Houston when Jablin was gunned down in front of his home. She said that she never owned a gun and never had her sister Tina's driver's license. She claimed that she was often mistaken for her sister, both in voice and in physical appearance, suggesting that it was her sister in Houston at the time of Jablin's murder instead of herself. When lawyers confronted her with all the evidence, she just said no, it wasn't me and claimed ignorance. She essentially testifying incriminated herself even more. Throughout her testimony, she became increasingly less convincing, which proved to have disaster results for her defense. On the fifth day, closing arguments were heard before the jury deliberated on the case. By mid-afternoon, a verdict was returned, finding Piper Roundtree guilty of murdering her ex-husband and the felonious use of a firearm. As the verdict was read, Roundtree was sobbing. It was recommended that she be sentenced to life in prison plus a mandatory three years on a firearm charge. And as I said earlier, everything that Piper did in the story was all her own fault. Jablin 
seemed like a good man. He was providing for her. He was providing for the family. He had a stable job. He had a good education. He seemed like the model husband from what the reports suggested. But she was greedy, lazy, and only ever cared about herself. Comment, tell me what you think.